Welcome to the Emerging Biotech Leader, where we help biotech leaders maximize the value of their therapeutics from translational development to product launch. We're your hosts. I'm Kim Kushner. And I'm Ramin Farhood. We are here to help you navigate the pitfalls of the biotech industry and illuminate the path forward. Welcome to today's episode of the Emerging Biotech Leader. I'm so glad to welcome today Adriana Valenciano, uh, one of our uh, senior vice presidents at SSI, to really talk about what it takes to build an outcomes-driven biotech. We're going to talk about three key themes that are, are really interesting and really build off the last episode with Doug Locke and Johan Strumquest. We're going to talk about what it takes to plan for a global approach and globalization in your biotech from the earliest stages of development. Think about the cross-discipline or multidisciplinary approach to defining milestones and outcomes for your business. And lastly, think about the different kinds of skills that you'll need at each one of these stage gates for growth of the business overall. Adriana, thanks so much for joining today. Thank you for having me, Kim. I'm glad to be back on the podcast. Love to have you. So to start us out for the conversation, I'd love to maybe just opine with you on what it even means to have an outcomes-driven approach for building your biotech. I think everyone in the industry would hope that they're doing that um, intentionally, not intentionally, I'm not entirely sure, but maybe if you could give a perspective on what that even means and we can build the conversation off that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a it's a great topic to to parlay from what we heard from Doug and Johan, who um, who really honed in on just the the change churn that exists um, as as a part of building and operating a biotech. Um, and so, being intentional and outcome driven is just it, it just is a paramount um, kind of um, a paramount skill. Um, that a lot of leaders, um, they try and be intentional about as they're um, establishing these organizations. And I think outcomes for a lot of people means meeting milestones. So hitting that next clinical milestone, CMC milestone, et cetera. And, and that's one, I think, one, one way of looking at it. But I think it's also about maybe the culmination of outcomes and achieving something that is more than just the bringing together of of one discipline and 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 one one win, um, so I think about it as you know going to a regulatory interaction and bringing together your points of view on your product, on your clinical story, and and who your patient is and how what unmet medical need you're solving, and coming back to that and saying we got great feedback there's, there's buy-in like that to me is an intentional outcome. Like that's something that is like, we thought about the end in mind. We thought about the patient. We thought about how do we get there and tell that story with our clinical trials. We thought about how this product will be administered. What are the components of it and how it will be, you know, how it will be brought to our patients. So I think it's about the culmination of these different types of milestones um, and and having some real outcomes come out of it. Now we can do something with that. We can do something moving forward. We can kick off our clinical program. We could start looking at CROs. Um, so that, that's kind of how I look at it, not just like one step at a time. It's when all of those things kind of come together and you're able to, um, through a multidisciplinary approach, achieve um, something that can translate into action for your organization. I want us to come back to the multidisciplinary approach in a moment, but before we do so, if we can even think about the biggest goal in, in most biotechs that we're working with, the number one goal that you ask 
in its you know, philosophical sense is we want to get our drug to market. We want to get our product in the hands of patients who need it, period. What that often means, if they're a U.S.-based company, we obviously have the largest market potential, at least kind of in the developed world, financially, to launch in the U.S. first. So the default is we're going to run our trials in the U.S. or kind of in, in multiple regions that will get us an FDA approval first. We're going to engage with FDA first. This is a path. But what we've learned, and I love your experience here, is that it's not always the fastest way to market to get to the U.S. And so is the U.S. actually the best option? And how are you seeing different biotech organizations answer the question, what is the fastest way to get to market? Yeah, I think that, I mean, it's a great question. And I think we face this all the time at SSI with our clients as they're thinking of their of their go-to-market strategies. And, you know, you're right. The the path that most people take is U.S. first and, and you know, of late U.S. only, uh, which is really too bad. Um, I think that every once in a while you have a client that's that's thinking about other regions that, or companies that are thinking about other regions, maybe because they've seen it done before, maybe because they, they know there are some economic advantages to a certain region. Um, but it's always based on, I would say, more of a, um, you know, uh, some sort of benefit, not necessarily like intentional about the overall global strategy. So I think that with a lot of our clients and, and with biotech in general, there should be sort of this step back of, you know, yes, the U.S. is always going to be sort of a part of our strategy. But what are the other regions that are going to create um create more um, of a, you know, strategic platform for this product. Um, so are you thinking about, you know, maybe going to Canada, maybe for that disease area, there's um, really great centers or centers of excellence or a great patient population. What does that look like as a part of our global strategy? For a lot of companies, that's a really easy, really easy step forward. Uh, because the requirements are very similar um, and you you have access to greater patient populations. Um, for other companies, you know, they need to be thinking about um, regions outside of North America. Um, and that could be for a number of, of different optionality. You know, a lot of companies going into pediatrics are considering going into Europe first um, instead of instead of the U.S. because there are different requirements there. So I think it's about you know, of course, understanding your patient population, but understanding what the global regulatory landscape could be um, for for your product, for your patients, and and what regulators are really focused on in these different regions. I think that there's probably a whole other, you know, podcast that'll talk about, you know, the economic benefits of some of these other regions and the reimbursement things. But, you know, from my perspective, what I'm thinking about, like a development strategy, like, there are a lot of advantages to approaching it, um, you know, with different parallel strategies, thinking about maybe a leader and then a follower or something in parallel. And that'll just depend on on, on really what the, the advantages in that region um, specific to your patient population, your therapeutic area, et cetera. Um, and there's also just a lot of really great incentives as well that can be offered from other parts of the uh, parts of the globe. And if you're a biotech and you don't have necessarily all the money in the world to spend on these programs, you should be thinking about that as well. Um, there are regions that will offer those incentives. And that to me is a really smart 
um, strategic decision that a, a company can make to move faster and, and be more efficient with their with their funding. I think that last point is probably one of the most critical ones that industry leaders are facing right now, how to be most efficient with your capital, knowing that you know, the capital environment is really challenging. We have to prove that we're demonstrating traction, but you need the capital in order to prove it. So you're in this chicken or egg scenario and the number one goal is speed. And so the idea of stopping to figure out a global development strategy feels like it really should be a secondary or tertiary priority for these leaders. But in actuality, and, and we're seeing great success in the organizations that are thinking this way, it should really be a primary priority and step one in figuring out how do we want to build our corporate strategy and how does that trickle down to our development strategy? And what is the intersection of the variables we need to consider for that very outcomes-driven approach? And really the intentionality about defining what those outcomes really are. Yeah. And I think it's all about even, you know, thinking about how do we set ourselves up for success to take that global step when we are ready. And I think that's what a lot of companies don't do at that at that very early stage. And as you were saying, it's considered tertiary to go global. That's that's usually where it is. Like we will get to that. Um, let's get this done first in the US and then we'll move on. But there are some easy intentional steps that you can take in the beginning, creating a global dossier versus just a US centric, you know, um, you know, briefing document, like simple things that you can do and set yourself up early, just start thinking about these are the CMC requirements that that we have here, they're almost the same here, you know, let's just think about these things, let's start talking about them. Um, so that we are not retrofitting our strategy to another region that Lo and behold, you know, a year later, we realized this would be a really good place for us to go next. Um, I'm working with a client now who is um, they're uh, they're finishing their phase two and they realize they'd like to go um, into Europe and they have had amazing data. They have great success in their phase two and they find themselves in a situation where they don't know the clinical landscape at all in Europe. They know that their competitors are at all the sites that they potentially could. They don't even know if their current CRO is could provide global services to them. Um, so it's a it's a huge disadvantage for them. They're 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 starting really anew in terms of that European strategy because they're saying to themselves, "Okay, I created this whole big you know uh, data package, U.S. focused, U.S. centric." Now I need to go back and say, what are the European requirements um, for, you know, what are the endpoints that they're going to care about? Do I need to change my phase three trial design because there's a, you know, uh, uh, a, you know an endpoint that they're going to emphasize more or a PRO that is just, we never accounted for in our phase two because we didn't think about it. So, you know, it's, 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 you know, in practicality, it can really take you a step back if you're not, if you're not careful and that early planning and kind of globalization of your strategy. One of the things that, at least in my experience, I think has um, has slowed organizations that are really trying to drive towards these outcomes is what you started with at the onset, which is thinking about each milestone and each outcome as a multidisciplinary problem. Because of the silos that naturally exist in the functions that you build within a biotech, 
we find that each function operates every problem as their own independent issue and their outcomes or their milestones as independent issues. So, you know, if a phase two and a phase two meeting is a regulatory problem, well, it's really not just a regulatory problem. It's regulatory and clinical and a whole host of individuals across the business who need to weigh in and who need to be able to tell this really eloquent story about what you've done and where you're going. And that's true for most major milestones and most major outcomes that a biotech is driving towards. I'd love your opinions on how we separate the functional structures within the business and really start to operate as a multidisciplinary team so that we can fully recognize and appreciate the synergies of the skills and the backgrounds that are being offered and how that applies to getting these assets to market. Do you have I have some experiences you can lend on there? Yeah, no, absolutely. And it, it actually is, is, it sometimes is a little bit of a pity when you are working with some smaller organizations because they are small. So you assume that there's going to be a lot of connectivity uh, across, you know, the disciplines and how people collaborate. And, you know, probably 90, 90% of the time, that's probably the case. Um, you know, you hear about these, you know, very cross cross-discipline teams, um, cross-functional teams, and ways of working to make sure that there is that interconnectivity. But um, it does, it, you know, it doesn't, that doesn't really account for how you plan um, kind of organizational-wide. Um, so if I'm a ClinOps leader, I'm going to be focusing on the things I need to do to execute on my part of the strategy. Um, and I and I'm going to collaborate with my my colleagues, but I'm also going to be really focused on you know the intentions and goals of my function and my discipline. Um, and I think it I think it's you know it takes good leaders to make sure that the disciplines are working together. Um, but it also takes you know some some um, I would say foresight um, and and flexibility to ensure that your giving the team and allowing the team to um, build alternative strategies, alternative scenarios that can bring them all to success. And I was thinking of a recent example with uh, a biotech that we have been working with where they really had a really interesting um, um, strategy and they were really focused on bringing their um, product to the clinic via a platform, a clinical trial platform. And it was something that they had built that decision, um, that, that clinical decision, um, they add into their investor story, into their corporate strategy, into their budget. Um, so you can imagine how that cascaded to every single, you know, every single function. Okay. So we're working through a platform. We don't need a ClinOps per se. Um, what do we do with pharmacovigilance? Is that going to be handled by, you know, this platform? Um, all these decisions, you know, coming into play based on based on one corporate move. Um, and it turns out they went to the regulators and they were like, we love this platform, but for your product, we don't think it makes sense. Um, and you're better off doing this trial on your own. And so you can imagine sort of the rollback of each of those you know, disciplinary decisions that had to be adjusted. Um, and it really was at that point that the team realized like we have to come together on this because we're now going in a very different direction. And that means that we have to get everyone back on the, like at the table to let's relook at, our, we have to look at our protocol again. We have to look at it again. Does it make sense? So that's, you know, 
working with the clinical clinical development team. We had to get ClinOps back in the room, like we're executing on a trial now. So we need to figure out what that looks like. We have to bring on data management. We have to consider PV. Um, and so it was, it almost kind of brought the team back together because previously it was like, all right, we've made this decision. This is our corporate strategy. We're going in one direction, but it was, it was quite motivating to see the team come together that quickly. But I think it was due to a lot of really good leadership, giving the team some agility and also the leeway to say, Hey, we're pivoting now. This is scary, but like, let's, let's buckle up and, and look at what our options are together and we can make good decisions. You know, we're, we should be glad we got this feedback now. We should be glad that we didn't take that step with this platform and let's, let's motivate around this new, this new goal. If I could summarize some of that and maybe add a little color as well. It sounds like the, the key theme here is as we're defining these critical outcomes and these key milestones, we need to prepare scenarios for the things within our control but also provide the flexibility and the agility within the disciplines and the team and the people that we're really building our organizations on to ensure that we can prepare for the evolution and for the variables outside of our control. So that might be a regulator, that might be a payer, that might be feedback from the medical community, that might be feedback from patients. You know, there could be, that could be investors. Um, there's so many different variables that are not in the primary control and these outcomes and these milestones that we're defining, they need to be clear enough that the team can rally around them and come together to work against them. But we also need to en enable the flexibility for that evolution and for, um, you know, future um, iterations, knowing that things are going to change. And the industry is changing and the in industry is changing quickly and we need to be able to adapt. And the companies that are going to do well and the biotechs that are going to grow and that are going to achieve their corporate goals are the ones that can maintain um, that level of flexibility early on. And they know how to adapt to the changing dynamics of the market. You know, part of that, Kim, is like being adjustable is having the right team around you. Right. And I think one of the other points we wanted to talk about today was having the right skills um, um, around the table to um, execute on milestones and 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 be comfortable when these things change. And that and that does take a very kind of skilled, um, seasoned person, but it also takes people who have the right skills at the right time, um, right? And I think that um, for you know the scenario I was describing, we had a lot of great people who were uh, definitely they were builders. They were people who you know, had put in the work and know, okay, so we have to make a strong turn. And that means that we need to pick up the phone and call CROs tomorrow. Uh, and how do we do that? And how quickly can we execute on that? And who, you know, who do I need to call? So having those very, I would say builders as well as operators around is really, is really critical. So having those skill sets and not just skill set of a discipline per se, but you know, skill set of mind, like your mindset is a little bit different. Um, and, you know, you have to be willing and able to, you know, you know, pivot around a new strategy um, when it comes your way from, like you said, regulators, investors, business. Um, it's like the, the last episode said, the changes, the change is going to keep happening. It's just a question of how, how you can pivot around it. I think this skill piece and especially in early biotech is really challenging because there's a lot of fantastic experience in the market and 
a lot of it and a lot of the people and the backgrounds they bring will translate really well to this very agile environment. Um, but not everybody's interested in the ride. Not everyone, you know, is excited to wake up and deal with the fact that they don't know what the next day brings in a biotech. And, and it really is a, a specific, um, it's a culture and environment that comes with this industry and the flexibility required to really excel at it and appreciate it. And so it's important to think about how do we develop those skills in people that have all these great um, experiences that we would love to bring to bear, but how do we apply it in this industry that is rapidly changing and get to a more multidisciplinary approach as we're, we're really building organizations on, the, on these key milestones. I think the skill sets are, um, we're, the talent pool, pool is growing, certainly. Um, you know, it is more common to interview people who have a lot more biotech experience and who have seen things done a lot of different ways. But but you're right. It's about, um, you know, finding those multi-dozen people who have maybe played a couple of different roles. Um, and, and those seem to be really great um, folks to, to have when you're in your corner when change happens. Absolutely. And, you know, if we think about guests that we've had on, on the show, even over the last year, Many of them are telling their story. You know, I did a stint here. I tested this out. You know, the company evolved and I shifted into this other role. And I think the people who are really business builders in biotech tend to have careers of doing a lot of different things or wearing a lot of different hats because that is a natural inclination for the kinds of skills and the talent that, that really build up the space. And so personally, I'm excited for what 2024 has to bring to bear, um, you know, hoping that there's positive traction to the funding environment so that we can continue to, to grow and bring really amazing therapies to patients that are, are clearly in need. Um, and I think as partners to the industry um, and embedded in organizations that we work with, we're really thinking about this multidisciplinary approach and how do we recognize the benefits across skills, across functions, across teams and people and, and really bring to bear the best of, best of breed across that. So looking forward to all that's to come and I appreciate the conversation today, Adriana. Thanks for joining. Yeah, likewise, Kim. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to the Emerging Biotech Leader, an SSI strategy podcast. Join us each month for more conversations with biotech leaders. If you'd like to help navigating the complexities of biotech, reach out to our team at ssistrategy.com. Don't forget to hit subscribe and leave a review.